Well, I'm Pastor Dave, the student ministries pastor here at Lakewood, and it is always uh, a privilege to uh, be able to bring forth God's word, and as Brian's gone uh, on a little vacation with his family, uh, it's, it's nice to be able to share something. Always when I'm trying to figure out how to select something, it's kind of a lot of it just comes from kind of where I'm at in life um, and what's kind of going on and things that have kind of stuck out to me. And so this passage is one actually that uh, when I was in seventh grade um, in Bible instruction class was the first real verses that I memorized, like multiple verses together in Second uh, Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped, a person of God, for every good work. I remember that verse because one of the things that was very pivotal in how I would address who God is, because it's talking about all Scripture, not just little pieces of Scripture, but everything in it, the, the, the easy sayings and the, the blessings, but also the very difficult sayings, the things that you're going, whew, that's hard. I mean, we have stories in the Bible of the disciples going, whoa, that's a hard teaching, and disciples left. People left because it was a hard teaching. And so when we say all scripture, we can't just go and take the parts we like and then say, well, I'm going to get rid of the parts I really don't like. And so this morning, as we kind of go through this, um, I want to make sure that you understand that Paul right here, the Apostle Paul is speaking to Timothy. And he's kind of at that point where he wants Timothy to understand these things. And so what Brad read earlier, you kind of see what's going through his mind. Um, but we're going to pick it up in verse 16. We think of this word, all scripture, and, and I think it's easy for us to kind of get this idea that, well, I don't know that I know all scripture, so how do I live without knowing it all? And really the point here that Paul wants to make is that scripture is crucial to who we are as believers in Christ. That it is our core, it is at the root of who we are and what we do. And so when we step into a passage like this, I think it's always important to give context. So if you'd pull out your sermon note sheets, um, I, I gave some things there, and I want you to kind of follow along if you can, because I think if we don't, um, we might get lost in this text and going, okay, the Apostle Paul's speaking, and I kind of know who he is and what's going on. So I want to give a little background, because I know some of you may know this and others may not. So who is Timothy? Well, we learn that Timothy is a young, faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And that was just read. We see that there's these things about him that he is willing to take the steps necessary to follow Christ. And then we see that he comes from a good family tree in 2 Timothy 1.5. And we see this picture that here he is. He is uh, uniquely qualified to take the baton of ministry from Paul. Why? Because he's got a mother and grandmother that were Jewish. He grew up in Lystra, which is really not too far from Tarsus, where the Apostle Paul grew up and was from. His dad was Greek. We don't know a whole lot about, about that, but we know that his mother and grandmother were women of faith. And so he has this unique ability to be, understand the Jewish customs and beliefs, but also to understand the Greek piece that he's going to the Gentiles, those that are not Jew. Well, who was Paul ministering to primarily? The Greeks, the, the Gentiles. 
And we see that Timothy shows up many times with Paul in a variety of places. Here's just one example in Philippians 2.22. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. We assume that Timothy's father's probably passed away. He's not in the picture. And we see that basically Paul looks at him as a son. And he's faithful to that. And Timothy being young, we see that he is basically becoming kind of a disciple of Paul, who obviously is a disciple of Christ. Well, now I want to look at this next section. And before we do that, I think it's important to kind of understand a couple concepts. See, God speaks to us in a variety of ways, you know, and we, we usually go, yeah, it's through nature. And we call that general revelation. We look at what's around us and go, wow, look at the stars, look at the fall colors, look at the things around us. We can see that God is at work. In Psalm 19, David, kind of picking this up in a little part of verse 1 there, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. So even, Paul, even David is looking at this and going, whoa, look it. He's just showing himself, and, we don't, and, and that's, everybody gets to see that. Everybody gets to partake in that. But in Romans 1, 19 and 20, we see this. For what, you, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Okay, that's general revelation, what they can see, because God is showing it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Simply put, people can see God in all things that are created. There's many that want to believe that evolution is some sort of uh, way that we can understand this for us that have a relationship with Christ and understand God, God created, and it was so, and we could see. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 has this when we talk about kind of this idea of special revelation. The special revelation is basically what God has specifically communicated to us. It's, it's not general anymore. It's this idea that this is what he is saying specifically to you and to me. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So again, we see God's general revelation taking place there. He's just doing these things, and we can see this happen. But then he transitions to, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This is important to understand that God's plan to give us his word, he says it will fulfill its purpose. With or without you, it's going to fulfill his purpose. He's going to do what he wants to do with it. And then in 1 Peter, we're like, how, how could we get this Bible together. I mean, you've got all these different people that have written things and, and they all kind of fit together. How, how is this possible? I mean, humans can't agree on next to anything. We're finding that out today, right, when it comes to this whole political season. Nobody can agree really on anything or get along. But in First Peter, 
we see this. For no prophecy, okay, any teaching that has been done in the past and has been given, okay, was ever produced by the will of man. Notice that. By the will of man. It wasn't done by them. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So again, what this is, is that the Holy Spirit is working in the lives of believers, and he's using these men to write these out. If you were to read Matthew, and you were to read the book of John, you were to read 1 Peter, and you were to read um, Philippians, all these authors have different personalities. You can tell as they write, they write differently. Well, how is that possible? Well, the Holy Spirit allowed their own personality to then record what God wanted recorded. Well, many people today think that the Bible is a bunch of fables, stories, myths, things that just couldn't be true. I found this video and I thought you might appreciate it. And if you're looking for the things that he mentions in it, they are in your life application questions uh, later in the sheet. But I want you to see this because this focuses on kind of the New Testament writers and how could the New Testament be really that accurate. Go ahead and play the video. Welcome to the One Minute Apologist. Apologist. We interview the world's leading apologists to provide credible answers to curious questions. Frank, is the Bible historically reliable? Oh, I think so, absolutely, Bobby. And I think if you look at six lines of testimony that begin with the letter E, as an overview, you can see that it is. First of all, we have early testimony. Most, if not all, the New Testament documents are written prior to 70 AD. Secondly, we have eyewitness testimony. For example, there's 140 details between the Book of Acts and the Gospel of John that have been verified to either be eyewitness details or details that only an eyewitness could know or, some, or they knew somebody who was an eyewitness. Uh, thirdly, we have embarrassing testimony. That may sound a little strange, but there's so many embarrassing details in the text that the writers never would have made up. Like, for example, they never would have called, have Jesus call Peter Satan. They never would have had Peter deny Christ three times. They certainly wouldn't have run away while the women were the brave ones at the crucifixion, right? That doesn't make any sense. They wouldn't have the women be the first witnesses. They wouldn't doubt that he had risen from the dead after he had risen from the dead. There's so many embarrassing details. This is not a made-up story. Uh, number four, we have excruciating testimony. That literally means out of the crucifixion that these individuals died brutal deaths, excruciating deaths, when they could have saved themselves by saying Jesus had not risen from the dead, but they went to their deaths anyway. We also have expected testimony. That's number five. In other words, there's Old Testament prophecy that causes us to expect a Messiah in the first century with the same characteristics Jesus had. Just, to, just look at Isaiah 53. You don't need to go much further than that. And then uh, finally, we have extra biblical testimony. Uh, we have 10 ancient non-Christian sources within 150 years of Jesus's life. And when you take their brief references to Jesus and early Christianity, you get a storyline congruent with the New Testament. So for those six reasons, early, eyewitness, embarrassing, excruciating, extra biblical and expected testimony, we, we pretty much know that the New Testament's historically Hopefully that gives you just a, a little insight into the reliability of Scripture just from just outside sources. You know, it, it's, you know, the Bible was written over 1,500 years, a period of 1,500 years, and uh, had 40 men that authored these uh, books of the Bible. It was written in three different languages. It was on three different continents in which it was written, but yet it all centrally focuses 
on who, the message of who Jesus Christ is. There's no swerving a little bit over here to say, well, it kind of is, is really focusing on this. No, everything comes together as one piece. So, so if we can see that God, you know, so if we can see God through all that he's created, we see that the word's been given to us through special revelation, that it's been given to us in such a, I think, an intimate way. Um, it should give us the faith, really, to live out our lives for Christ and to share that good news with other people. Romans 15.4 says this, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And so there again, there's this idea that it was written for us. It has a purpose for us. And it was written for our instruction. It was to help us endure through the tough times of life. Well, if you would grab your note sheet and uh, pull that out if you haven't already, I want to read the EFCA Statement of Faith, the Evangelical Free Church Statement of Faith. They have these on, you know, on God, on Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit. This is the one specifically in the Bible, and I bold-faced a couple of the uh, things in here that I want you to kind of see. It says, We believe that God has spoken in the Scriptures, both Old and New Testament, through the words of human authors, as the verbally inspired word of God, the Bible is without error in its original writings. The complete revelation of his will for salvation and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. God has spoken. Words of human authors trying to figure out how that goes together, but it's important to understand that. It's without error in its original writings. Now, we have different translations, and so we can have some debates over that, but we need to go back to the original language when there's a dispute. It's the complete revelation. There is no more that God needs to give us. He has given us everything that we need right now in his scriptures. And it's the ultimate authority. How do we know that scriptures it's an ultimate authority? I'm reminded of John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So some people will say, well, I can go my other ways. I can do the things that make me feel good or the things that I want to do. But the reality is Jesus saying, no, I'm the truth. I am the source. I am the ultimate authority. Now, all are welcome to come to me. But if you're not going to come to me, you're not coming to the Father. He's very in inclusive of everybody. So now as we look at this, you, if you look at that last line of the statement, do we believe all that it teaches? Will we hang in there even when the tough stuff comes our way and we don't completely understand every piece of it? Will we obey it? as it requires us to do. It has told us many things that we ought to be doing. And do we trust its promises? I know so many of you guys have felt that, where it's like, wow, I know I need to rely on him. You're going through a difficult time, and you realize, wow, what do I do now? God, what do I do? And you're in the midst of it, and it just doesn't feel like it. And you're like, no, God, I know that you're going to help me through this. And then when you look back at that situation, you go, wow, I cannot believe how God showed up in this how he was with me in the midst of that. Well, let's step forward now in this text. We're going to move into this 
next section, and, and uh, I want to answer the question of why is Paul writing this to Timothy? See, uh, Paul is really at the end of his kind of ministry life. Uh, he's already been shipwrecked. He's been persecuted. We even hear that he was persecuted in Lystra, which Brad had read, uh, which is the same town in which we see Timothy com- came from, where he grew up, and we see that he's been imprisoned. Paul is at the end. And he's at this point saying, okay, how are we going to continue this ministry on? And he had picked Timothy and discipled him and taught him. And Timothy was a willing disciple. He wasn't somebody going, oh, man, Paul's dragging me along again. And I'm sure there's situations where it was difficult for Timothy. But, you know, when you're at the end of your life, usually we're not talking about who won the latest game or what the weather is or those kind of things. Usually at that time where we want to extend any last-minute knowledge, um, extend forgiveness or forgive somebody, uh, whatever it may be, there's, there's important matters that we deal with when we're at that point. If we have the ability to say it, we want to say it. We don't want to leave something undone. And so we have here in these First and Second Timothy, this is really what Paul is doing as he's passing along all this information to young Timothy. To say, Timothy, I was your age, and boy, I was, I was really going. I was a Pharisee, and I did all these things, and I got off track, and God met me. And so I need to know, as you're young, I trust you that you're going to take this, even though he's young. In 1 Timothy 4.12, we said, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the example, or believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. We see that Paul is saying, Timothy, I want your life, when people see it, to say, you know what, yeah, he may be young, but man, look at the way he lives his life. It's different. In verse 17, we see Paul reminding Timothy of the importance of knowing God's word and how integral it is to a person's ability to live and to share the truth of Jesus. That the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, if we don't have the word in us, it's hard to be equipped to go out and do what God's called us to do because we don't know what to do. But then Paul charges Timothy to go and advance the good news of Christ. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience in teaching. See, this word a charge here really could be understood really as somebody that testifies or uh, another, I suppose, another way of kind of looking at it is it's affirming another. Paul is saying, hey, this is my man. God, this is the guy that I think you've put in my life and I want him to continue on. And he's saying to Timothy, I trust you to continue this on. But then when we look a little closer at verse 2, it gets into the kind of the sticky part where we can get a little uncomfortable as he's telling Timothy this, but I think it relates really well to us. It says, preach the word. Now, a lot of times people think, well, this is what preach the word is. Just get up here, the pastor speaks, and he's the one that's supposed to preach the word. That's not what that is saying. Really, this is saying proclaim the truth of Christ, share publicly with other people. That's what it's supposed to be. It's not this, you know, just only a Sunday school teacher or a pastor or somebody like that can do that. We are all to preach the word. 
But then he gets to this next section of being ready. Be ready in season and out of season. See, this, this idea is no matter what situation you walk into, it could be morning breakfast, it could be on your way to work, it could be at school, wherever it may be, be ready. Be ready. Colossians 3.16, I think, um, has always been a fairly encouraging verse for me, but a reminder of the importance of God's word. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I love the first part of that. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You know, sometimes when we read scripture, we just go, oh, okay. You'll read it and you go, what did I just get done reading? Then you read it again. And sometimes we, you know, some are going, hey, I read through the Bible. And it's like, do you remember any of it? Because you just went through it real fast. And then others are like, I can't read a full chapter. It just blows my mind all that God's doing. It's okay. Each of you has a different personality in which you, how you absorb it. But the idea is, is it's rich. There's so much there. And God knows your personality. God knows how you kind of internalize that information. Trust him to open it up to you. Let it dwell in you. But it's interesting then, Paul, as he then ends this, he's, if we go back to verse 16 where it was all scriptures God breathed, and then it gives these kind of commands, well, uh, that what scripture will do, now in a sense he's telling Timothy, now go do those same things in the way in which you do ministry. He uses the word reprove, kind of this idea of reasoning or to convince. He says uh, rebuke and admonish. So we see this parallel that he's drawing between Scripture and then Timothy's ministry. And then to teach with passion. Now this next part is, you know, I kind of just summarize it as patiently teach. You know, because today we want everybody to agree with us right when we're done because we're just so awesome at telling people what we think and then, and then they should just go, yep, man, you are so right. And, and, and it doesn't work that way. And this passage here is telling us that it's going to take some time. Patiently teach. Don't, don't just give up on it. Take your moments. Find your time. Develop that relationship. But when the moment comes, keep teaching. Keep teaching sound doctrine. Keep teaching those things that are important to the gospel. See, false teaching is going to be something that is sought. And I think today we're seeing that. We see that all around us. People want to believe they're kind of the gospel or they want to believe their feelings are, are more important than what God's word says. And so then they come up with these different things and we see that Paul has this idea that, hey, this isn't something new, Timothy. This isn't something new. This has been happening and will continue to happen. These people will even come out of our own trenches The people that are in this building here may begin to teach people improperly and lead them away even though they know the truth. We see in 2 Timothy uh, 4, 3 and 4, this idea says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Kind of sound familiar? In verse 4, And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. It's happening. It's all around us. But he's encouraging Timothy, patiently teach them. Develop relationships with them. Let them see your life. See that there's a difference in it. doesn't mean you're perfect. doesn't mean you have all the answers. 
And we have evidence of that in Acts 20. It says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So this isn't like taking Paul by surprise, but he wants Timothy to understand the reality, not to be discouraged by this, but to know that there's going to be people that are going to be trying to pull people away. That's what Satan wants to do, pull us out, get us unprotected, and so that we'll begin to follow the other ways. See, we live in a time of social media. We've got blogs and we've got websites and we've got everybody saying everything. And so I just did a search on Google and I put in, Bible is a lie. Two million hits, you know, too many results. Two million results. And then I put in, the Bible is a myth. Ten million. Now, I would assume there's probably a few people in there that are trying to say, you know, stake the claims like, no, this is who Christ is. But the reality is people are telling the world, hey, this Jesus, this Bible, this stuff doesn't mean anything. It's just wives' tales. Well, Scripture tells us that's the way it's going to be. And so if we don't know Scripture, and we're not all in when it comes to Scripture, we're going to be led astray. We even see that in Acts it's written about Paul, the Bereans, these uh, Berean Jews, they, had, they, they were like, okay, are they right? Are they saying the right things? Okay, let's, let's go check this out. It says, Now the Berean Jews were um, of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. This wasn't to get in, this wasn't a passage to say, hey, we're going to just you know, fine-tune every little thing, but they said, is the message of Jesus Christ accurate? Or are they changing the different ways that you can get to God? Are they trying to do this? They wanted to make sure even the Apostle Paul was teaching the right things. And many of them had been taught by the Apostle Paul. You know, I, I hear a lot of people that, uh, well, a lot of people I know, and I've challenged them a little bit on this. And maybe you fall into this, and it's not, a, it's not to make you feel bad or anything, because I've done it is that I think a lot of times when we look at a passage of Scripture, we want to listen to somebody else preach it, see what they have to say about it, and then kind of agree with them. And then we go to the passage after they've read it, and then maybe we look at it a little bit more and go, oh, hey, that's, that's neat. And, uh, but I would just challenge you guys to maybe reverse that order. Go to Scripture first, read that, then find out what other people are saying about it that can maybe hone in on some of the things you were thinking. Reverse that order because I think sometimes we get out of Scripture and we go to what other people say about it. The Bereans, they went into Scripture. And it's so critical that we do, especially in this day and age. It's important to know that those that don't have a relationship with Jesus don't have the Holy Spirit living in them. It was interesting just this at our last elders meeting, this was read and I had already had it in here. But in 1 Corinthians 2, there's this passage, and because I think a lot of times we get these people that will say these claims about who Jesus is, and they don't have a relationship with Jesus. And it's like, how can they even know that? Well, they can't. And you're like, what? They can't? Well, they can know the historical stuff, but they can't really understand the depth of God's heart and who he is because they're really blinded by it. Listen to 1 Corinthians 2. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. 
Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we will impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The idea is, is when you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you can see the fullness of Scripture. But if you're like me, there's times where I've read the same passage I'm doing here, and in seventh grade, I looked at things, and I go, wow, okay, that's really cool. Then as I got a little older, I'm like, hey, I'm doing my licensing paper, and I'm thinking, whoa, okay, this is really cool. Then as I'm preparing this, I'm like, whoa, I didn't see that. The idea is, is that's the Holy Spirit kind of revealing things to you. The truth doesn't change. There's one interpretation, but there's many place, ways in which it applies to our lives. I think that's pretty cool. That's a personal God who wants us to know him and speaks to us. So then we get to this final point. It's Paul's instructions, his final instructions to Timothy. And this one can kind of, you know, it was preach the word, be ready, you know, patiently teach. Well, then we get to this part, and he gives them some additional instructions. And, he's, and, and, and some of them are kind of tough. It says, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Sober-minded, hmm, okay, what does that mean? It basically means to have a mind in which it is under control. It is cool and collected. You have your wits about you. Then it gets endure suffering. It's like, okay. Well, Paul told us in the, you know, the early part of this chapter, whoa, there's some stuff he went through. And he's saying that I continue to go through it, but he says I'm going to endure this because it's so much better, so much better for the sake of the gospel, even this physical and emotional pain I'm going through, it's so much better. So, Timothy, it's worth it. Even in the midst of the suffering, it will be worth it. And in 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8, it says, I have fought, this is Paul, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved in his appearing. Paul, you don't see him going, yeah, it's the end of my life, bummer. No, he said, I've fought the good fight. I've done everything that I can that I think God has called me to do. And I've finished the race. He wasn't disqualified. He says, I kept the faith. But then he gets into this next part. He says, do the work of an evangelist. And it's like, oh, okay, you just told us, to, you know, me to preach the word, okay? I'm supposed to be like them. Now you're telling me to evangelize? That's what scripture says. But you know what? I think there's an easier way to look at what an evangelist is. This is simply somebody, again, that publicly shares Christ with those around them. Why is it important to be ready? Well, because we don't know who that may be. It may be the person, the clerk at the counter at a store that you go to regularly, that you can be an encouragement to and begin to develop a relationship. It can be a coworker, it can be a friend, it could be a family member. The work of an evangelist is to proclaim Jesus Christ to the world. It doesn't mean those of you that are introverts are going, but I can't do that. No, you have your own personality that God's given you to do that in your own way, just as those of us that are more extroverted will do. But it's got to be built into relationship with people. 
So who are you developing relationships with? Are you being intentional in relationships? And then the last part, fulfill your ministry, he tells Timothy. Well, what's his ministry? What's our ministry? Well, God's given us tools. He's given, he's, he's given us tools and, and abilities, and he wants us to use them and to share them. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Bible, his word. And he's given us spiritual gifts. Those of us that have a relationship with Christ have gifts that we are to encourage and edify the body of Christ with. So who do we need to reconnect with? Who do we need to con- re- you know, connect with just to say, I want them to know who Jesus is. What are the ways in which I can show them Christ in my life? And a very familiar passage that we hear often, and this is came right from Jesus, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, he's saying this to the disciples just before he's going to leave earth, after his resurrection, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, remember, that's important truth. All authority, everything, is in Jesus' control. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And now verse 20 teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold I am with you to the very en- always to the very ends of this age you know have you ever really understood when he tells you to do this he has fully equipped you to do what he's called you to do he is the one that's saying I am faithful to give you everything you need so please go I will be there for you it may not work out perfectly you may have a conversation with somebody that goes completely sideways or gets very awkward and you're just you're like oh man i just blew that one for god i'm a fool i just made god look like a fool and i'm thinking really god can't be made a fool he's got bigger things that he's dealt with that i'm pretty sure he can handle that conversation is your heart in the right place that's the real question was your heart to reach them guys we're not going to know all the answers So, you know, a lot of times we use that as an excuse. Well, what if they ask me a tough question? Just say, you know what, I don't know. That's a really good question. Let me get back to you on that. And then you go into his word, you go and talk to other people, and all of a sudden you got the answer, and then you come back to him and say, hey, you know, that was a great question. God will not be made a fool of. He's promised it, and he's with us. So as you conclude, I want you to think of this. We are going to conclude with a song that I think is so appropriate for this. Whom shall I fear? We have nothing to fear because God is with us through everything. He is with us to the very ends of this age. He has said he is going to do that. That is a promise. And if we've got God behind us, nothing can stand against us. And I would just challenge you as you think about life and as you think about who is in your life and how can I preach the word, do the work of an evangelist? How can I be sober-minded? How can I be ready? How can I do these things? That you say, ultimately, I've got God behind me and he's going to actually go before me in these conversations. Are we willing to step in and say, you know what? God's word is truth. It does not need to be watered down. It is relevant, just as relevant today as it was when it was written. And the more we understand that and the more we hold to that, the more I believe the Holy Spirit will work in your life. Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, your word is so good. And we often find times in our life that we can question it and we can doubt it. We find times when we want to share with somebody, but we think we're going to not have the right answer. But Lord, we've got a God in you that is going with us wherever we go. And we have nothing to fear. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to understand more fully who you are. We pray this in your name. Amen.